verse 6. We've looked already at the opening part of this chapter, what is uh, known as the Sermon on the Mount, what is really the Beatitudes that are described as the Beatitudes, blessings. And when we come to the fourth one, we've looked at the first three, we have to confess, at least in the physical sense, that here's something that we know little or very little, uh, very little about. Because it speaks there in that verse 6 about hungering and thirsting. Hunger and thirst are physical needs. But in this country we know nothing of what it is for a mother or father to do without so that the children be fed. We don't know what it is to have to go out and look for the basic need of water. It's there on the top. But appreciate men and women that as the Saviour was to use these words to speak spiritual truths. That these were things which the people could have identified with. Even in the land of Israel. For in the Holy Land in the time of Christ water was a premium. Food sometimes would have been scarce. <coughs> these were necessities as opposed to luxuries. They were both used carefully and never wasted. Like we could say happens in our own land tonight. Where there's plenty. And where there is an abundance of these things. And so here is something which would lie close to the heart. And the people would know what it is to long for those basic needs. But you consider that the Lord links together hunger, thirst with righteousness. For he's telling the people that righteousness wasn't a luxury either. It's a necessity. Just as hunger and and water is. Our physical life depends upon the water and food. And so it is no different to what spiritual life depends upon. And so we want just to look at this fourth beatitude of verse 6. And to give consideration to what the Lord is teaching here. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Won't you notice the necessity of righteousness. You consider righteousness as revealed in this verse. Then we must be sure about what is meant here. You'll notice there's something that is not only mentioned in this verse, but is mentioned right throughout this sermon. The believer may be persecuted because of righteousness. Look at verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The righteousness of God's people must exceed that of the hypocritical Pharisees. Look at verse 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. There is such a thing as righteous deeds or actions. Chapter 6 verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Look at your margin. Take heed that ye do not your righteousness before men. And of course... Above all, we are to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Verse 33 of chapter 6. So it is <coughs> a word, a thought, a theme that is continued right throughout the sermon. Now let it be understood that by nature, man has no righteousness of himself which is acceptable to God. Isaiah the prophet reminds us that all our righteousnesses, all those good things, all those things of merit that we would 
uh, think that we could lay before God or bring to God, he says, are only but filthy rags. But here's a verse which not only shows the sinner their need. If you're hungry, you have a desire, you have an appetite that must be satisfied. And the inner man also has appetites that must be satisfied. And if they're not, then the inner man becomes sickly and weak. The inner person needs to be fed. And here's the spiritual appetite where the soul longs after that which will give happiness and acceptance before a holy God. But it also brings before us God's banquet for our souls. The need is for the soul to have a righteousness. A righteousness which will silence the accused conscience because of our sin and because we've broken God's holy law. The need is for a righteousness that will answer the accusations that the devil would seek to dig up from our past. How he often comes and seeks to bring up that which has been forgotten and buried out of sight. And tells you and me that we're unworthy to even do anything for the Lord. Our need is for that righteousness. Which will enable us to live lives of victory and power over sin in this world. And when we bring all those things together, we see the, the enormity of our need. Our righteousness which will do all of these things. From silencing the conscience to stopping the mouth of the devil. And bringing us peace and power and victory. The righteousness alone that we haven't got of ourselves. We haven't got by nature. That righteousness alone is to be found in Christ Jesus. And in the salvation that God manifest in the flesh has purchased for us. There is that appetite built within our nature. The problem is by birth it is a fallen nature. And so men will try to quench their hunger and quench their thirst with a poor substitute of this world. And it never satisfies. It only leaves them more thirsty. And so they go to one thing that doesn't satisfy. They have to go to another thing and another thing and another thing after that. The temporal can never satisfy the spiritual void it is in man. The temporal will never satisfy. <coughs> Only they who have trusted Christ have found the answer. Because he said in John chapter 6. In verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. There's the answer. You understand that when we speak of righteousness and its meaning, we're looking at the, one of the key words of the gospel. It is used as an equivalent for God's salvation. You turn back to Isaiah <coughs> Isaiah chapter 51 and words of verse 5. He says, My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, mine arms shall judge the people, the isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. Those two words are used for one and the same thing. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth. They both describe God's salvation. 
And furthermore, this word righteousness is also used as a name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think of it, Jeremiah chapter 33 and the words of verse 16. It says, In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. We sing it. Jehovah sing, can you? Know that hymn in the hymn book. What simply means to can you is the Hebrew word, you see. Jesus, my righteousness. And it shall be called, the city shall be called the Lord our righteousness. You put the name of Christ into our text. And you have the full meaning of it in this promise. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after Christ. They shall be filled. Therein lies the necessity for every soul. The need is Christ. And you know that is brought out forcefully before us in another verse. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5. In 21, he says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Christ died in our guilty stead. Brings us to the cross. He bore the fire and the wrath of a holy God against our sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Third why? The Savior paid the full penalty. Punishment, the full payment for our deliverance, so that every believer might have the full merit of his righteousness laid to their account. The Savior left heaven and came to die for all sinners like you and I, so that we might be clothed in the spotless garment of his righteousness, and that we might find acceptance before the Father. Remember, we have no righteousness of ourselves, and we need a righteousness. To solve the conscience. To stop the mouth of the devil. And there it is. In salvation God and Christ has provided it. We're clothed with that righteousness. And we're accepted before the Lord. The Father. Because when God the Father looks upon you and me. He sees the righteousness of Christ. All who have not on this garment will be eternally cast from his presence one day. That is what is noted In that parable regarding the man at the wedding feast, Matthew 22 and 12 says, And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. No argument. The wedding feast in those days, which was more than a day of what it is here, it was maybe a week long, and the garments were provided freely. And here's a man that came in and he was invited and he came in and he must have looked very similar but he hadn't got on the the wedding garment until the king came and saw him. He said, friend, how camest thou in not having on a wedding garment? We stand before God in in the robe of Christ's righteousness. We can't stand before God, men and women, in the robe of churchianity. Maybe there's a whole lot in Market Hill are doing that. We can't stand before God in the robe of good living. We can't stand before God and be accepted because of a, a robe of, a, of acceptability or respectability. 
Only in Christ's righteousness will we find acceptance. And by faith that is what we're clothed in tonight. From the time, from the very moment of your conversion and mine. God's salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. For that moment you see there was a great exchange made. God took the old filthy rags off. And he exchanged them for the perfect garment of Christ's righteousness. And he clothed us in them. And wasn't that seen right back in the Garden of Eden? God took off the old fig leaves of Abraham's. That Adam and Eve had made with their own hands. Weren't sufficient you see. And what did he clothe them with? He clothed them with the skins of the animal. And if you look at that uh, word. You get a good dictionary or whatever. That garment that's spoken about there in Adam. It's a garment from the very head to the toe. Right there. Covered them completely. What a picture of God's salvation. What a picture of what we're clothed in tonight. Christ's righteousness. And that's why God's people can say, Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We see the necessity of it. What about hungering after righteousness? Well, these words demonstrate whether a person is in Christ or not. And what state they're in. Where there's a hungering and a thirsting in the physical sense, then there's a sign of life. Dead people don't have an appetite. The unsaved, they have an appetite for sin. And so it is with a soul spiritually. In effect, these words show the character of a godly soul. The sheep, you know, it loves to uh, feed on the green pastures and beside the, the still waters. And the believer hungers and the believer thirsts after spiritual things. It stands to sense. Psalm 73, the words of verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee, the psalmist says. And there's none upon earth that I desire beside thee. What about Psalm 42, sometimes quoted, heard quoted in the prayer meeting, good one. Verse 1, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Just think of the old deer in a desert land and the wilderness and it's panting, it's searching for the water until it finds it. And so he turns it around and says, So my soul panteth after thee. My soul thirsts for the Lord. You see, conversely, for, not, for one not to be hungering and thirsting after God, then it normally speaks of an infection of sin. One who's sickly, spiritually speaking. You see, one of the first signs of sickness is a loss of appetite, physically speaking. One of the first signs that you're getting better and you're starting to recover is that you're desiring to eat again. It's always good when you hear the child wants something to eat. Remember? Child can go down sick very quick, but he can bounce up very quick as well. And one of the first signs is that they want to eat or want to drink. Make sure you're not in that state spiritually. 
Hungering, thirsting means we're able to live, we're able to work. And a hungering and a thirsting after God is preparation for life, is preparation for service. That was the place where the prodigal got to. Oh, sadly, he was hungering after the wrong things. Because he wanted the inheritance from the father. He went out into the far country thinking that he was going to get his fill. And you know, that didn't last. But he knew what he would receive at the Father's house when it says he came to himself. Luke chapter 15, verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, (coughs) How many hard servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He knew what he would find at the Father's house. And the prodigal men and women is a picture of the unsaved. It's not a picture of a backslider. Every one of those parts of that parable, Luke 15, speaks about the unconverted. And this man's in, the un- in a far country. He's hungering. He's perishing. But he knows What's in the Father's house? And so there's this change, there's this point in his life that he turns and he heads home. And of course the Father's arms embrace him. There then are those who rather sleep than eat the meat of God's word. One who sleeps at the table, it's obvious that they have no hunger. I have a wee picture of one of my grandsons snoozing at the table. Still learning. He's kiped. You know, that's what some betray when they come to the house of God. They'd rather have a nap than be fed. They need the quickening power of God's Spirit to awaken them from their slumber. And then there are others, and they would rather have the sweets and they'd rather have the garnishings on the spiritual plate rather than the solid meat. And Paul knew those as well in the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And the opening two verses, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. There wasn't that growth that there ought to have been He still had to feed them on the milk. Is that not very much in evidence today? There's a seeking to be entertained. There's a seeking to have the senses affected rather than feasting upon the truths of God's word. And you know the crowds are flocking to those places. They have their ears tickled. Feel good. There's no meat for the soul. That's why they're famishing. Remember what Paul said to Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 4. The words of verse 3. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall have they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall... Turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. 
Timothy, that's what they'll follow after. Just the titbits. They'll turn away their ears from the truth. Well, what are you to do, Timothy? Go with it. He says, you watching all things. He said, do the work of an evangelist. He says, make full proof of your ministry. He says, preach the word. Preach the word in season, out of season. You see, it shows a lack of hunger. And that's what we're seeing in Ulster tonight. A lack of hunger, spiritually. Running after the titbits. <coughs> Want to be entertained. Bring on that new music. Let's do this, that, the other. Forget about the preaching of the words. And so you boys now, with a round collar on, and seven minutes nothing. Might take me seven minutes getting through my introduction. Well, seven minutes they have the people out. <coughs> Shows a lack of hunger, you see. For others, their lack of, unders- of, of hungering after righteousness is evident. Because they'd rather be doing other things than to be in the place where the feasting is found. How often I heard my mother call for the, the tea was ready. But maybe I was at the football, or the bicycle, or the friends, or something else. Why didn't I come? Because my hunger, you see, wasn't as great for the physical food as it was for the sport, or the play, or something else. And that's how it is with some of God's professing people today. There's a going after the vain things which cannot profit the business, the recreation, something else. And the spiritual food is put to the side. What do without that today? So with Ahab, he desired Naboth's vineyard in the greater measure than that of following the word of God when he paid dear for it for the dogs licked his blood. I wonder, are we truly hungering after righteousness and the things of God? That comes as a challenge to our hearts. What about the promise? Just in closing. There is the duty in this verse. There is the hunger and thirst after righteousness. And for the soul who doesn't, then they shall know what it is to have the perpetual thirst as the rich man was to do so. For in Luke chapter 16, you'll hear of how the rich man longed for a drop of water, not, not a cup, just a drop of water to be placed on his tongue, where he is tormented in this flame. But the verse speaks also of the promise. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. God never bids us to seek him in vain. He's one who satisfies the longing soul. Psalm 107 in the words of verse 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. 
<coughs> the word filled has a double meaning. It means satisfied and controlled by. If we hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, then he shall satisfy that hunger. When he has satisfied it, we will discover then that our lives are controlled by his righteousness in all that we do. Well, the world may try and fill a man, but when all is done, he will still not be satisfied. But that cannot be said of one who hungers after righteousness. God is able to fill the hungry soul. And you know there's a lovely verse that we find. In Psalm 17 and verse 15. It's the last verse of it. It says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. It's a good verse for a believer who dies in Christ. There's the prospect. I'll behold thy face in righteousness. And you know our loved ones who have died in Christ are satisfied. Completely. That's what everybody's looking for down here. To be satisfied. They're not content. The child of God is satisfied. And we will be ultimately satisfied when we see him. And when we awake, the Lord comes back. We're going to rise from the old grave if we're there. And we'll be like him. We shall see him as he is. God is able to fill the hungry soul. He fills us up with that needed grace. He fills us with that peace that passeth all understanding. And afterwards we shall be filled with the glory of heaven. And then we shall know what it is to be eternally satisfied. But in the meantime, should we not desire that revival blessing? which is but a foretaste of what the glories of heaven will be like. You know, Isaiah has some of those precious promises regarding this. If you think of Isaiah 41, the words of verse 17, it says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I, I believe there's a prophetic note to that. There's regions of Israel, there's a particular area of Israel from Jerusalem right down to the Red Sea. It's called the Arva. It's just a desert. But you know, God has promised when he comes back and the Lord comes back, it's going to be changed. And it'll be changed like it says in verse 18. There'll be open rivers and high places. There'll be fountains amidst of the valleys. The wilderness will be a pool of water. The dry land springs of water. God will change it as he will change his people. Because they'll look upon him whom they have pierced. And they shall believe. Jew. But there's a verse you can take in prayer. That's revival. There's a thirsting. There's a hungering. And the promise from the Lord is. I'll hear. And I'll not forsake you. 
And we've got to ask ourselves as we congregation and as individuals, are we thirsting for that blessing? Are we thirsting? Are we needy? Are we seeking it? Is our tongue feeling for thirst, as it were, in this old parched, dry land spiritually? We need the Lord. He says also in Isaiah 44 and verse 3, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. That's the promise we need to pray until we see it fulfilled in this hard day and generation. And then we shall be truly filled when we sit in the presence of the Saviour, the very marriage supper of the Lamb. With this I close, because then shall come to pass the promise of Revelation 7, verse 16, 17. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them on to living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What a promise. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we know that that promise will be ultimately fulfilled when we are in the glory land. For there will be no hunger there, no thirsting there. Why? Because Christ is there. We'll have seen him. We'll be with him for all eternity. May the Lord bless his word tonight. All of our hearts again, for his own name's sake, great